This morning's scripture is taken from the book of Revelation, chapter 3, verses 14 through 16. Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 through 16. And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou wert cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Good morning and welcome to our worship service. We're grateful for your presence. We are thankful for the opportunity that we have today to be together, to worship God in spirit and in truth. If you're visiting, as always, we appreciate your presence. We encourage you to come back and be with us at every opportunity that you have. We're going to be looking today at the book of Revelation, chapter 3, and we're going to be noting specifically what the Lord had to say about the church at Laodicea. And we will be looking at verses 14 through 22. What I want us to think about for just a few moments has to do with the danger of apathy. It is quite possible that as Christians we become too comfortable in our service to the Lord. In other words, instead of maintaining a spirit of fervor and zeal, we become indifferent, apathetic, lukewarm toward the work of our Lord. And so I want us to think for just a few moments about what the Lord said concerning the church at Laodicea. The city of Laodicea was located about 90 miles east of the city of Ephesus. It was not far from the city of Colossae. Laodicea was an extremely wealthy city. And I believe that the church was comprised of many members who likewise were very wealthy. And so Jesus peers in to this congregation and makes an analysis, draws conclusions, and I believe sets before us this congregation as a model of the kind of behavior we do not want to emulate. It is interesting to me that out of the seven churches that our Lord surveys in Asia, only one did not receive any positive comments, that being Laodicea. Two congregations escaped censor altogether. Five had virtues that were good and then also had some positive or rather negative attributes that, according to the Lord, they needed to make some corrections. But let's just think for a moment about the danger of apathy. The first thing that I would call your attention to is the problem. And this is basically found in verses 14 through 17. In verse 14, the Lord said to the angel of the church of Laodicea, write, These things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. 
we need to understand that Christ is speaking here. And he is our redeemer. John introduces us to Christ and his redemptive work in chapter 1 at verse 5 of this very book. He said unto him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. In chapter 5 at verse 9, he makes mention of the fact that Christ is the one who has redeemed us. And so this is the one that we're talking about who is examining this congregation. And then also the church. As we said a moment ago, the church is located in the city of Laodicea. The church is comprised of the redeemed, that is, those who have been washed in the blood of the Lamb. When Saul of Tarsus was met by Ananias, the Bible tells us that Ananias instructed Saul, and now why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. The church is composed of redeemed people. We are the community of the saved. We are individuals that have been cleansed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. We are the called out ones, the ecclesia. Peter talks about in 1 Peter chapter 2 at verse 9 how we have been called out of darkness into his marvelous light. And so we are the redeemed just as those in Laodicea were the redeemed of God. But in verses 15 through 17, we have the criticism that is offered by our Lord. Now sometimes we take criticism in a negative way. But I really believe that there is something to be said for constructive criticism. And Jesus here is examining this congregation. He literally places the work of this church under his divine microscope. And based on his analysis, we find the conclusions that he offers for us. Now in chapter 2 at verse 23, when Jesus peered into the church at Thyatira, he said that he is the one who searches the minds and hearts. In other words, he is the one who examines the minds and the hearts. The Hebrew writer tells us, neither is there any creature that is not made manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open before the eyes of him with whom we have to do. So Jesus sees all and he knows all. And he provides revelation concerning the spiritual status of the church in Laodicea. So with that in mind, what is it that the Lord has to say about the spiritual climate of this congregation? Look at verses 15 and 16. Jesus said, I know your works. Well, of course he knows their works. He knows everything. He is deity. As we said a moment ago, he is the one who examines or searches the minds and the hearts. And we are fooling ourselves if we think that Jesus does not know our spiritual life. In other words, he knows exactly 
where we are spiritually speaking. Now know what he says. I know your works. That you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. It is somewhat noteworthy that Jesus desires our spiritual climate to either be to the point of boiling, boiling hot, or cold. In verse 16 he said, So then, because you are lukewarm. The idea here is that they are tepid. They're not cold and they're not hot. They are simply lukewarm. He said, So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew you out of my mouth. Now the footnote in the New King James Version for the term spew is spit or vomit. A very repulsive picture. Let's just think for a moment about what Jesus is saying here. First of all, he analyzes their vigor. And that is, they're neither cold nor hot. He said, you are lukewarm. They were lethargic or lackadaisical in their spiritual lives. And yet it was Jesus who taught in Matthew 6, verse 33, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Imagine if you can a group of Christians meeting in a common location whose spiritual status was that of lukewarmness lethargy, apathy. But then also, they were not only lukewarm, lackadaisical, and lethargic, but they were inactive or idle. Now, sometimes we find ourselves in neutral, spiritually speaking. We, like the Laodiceans of old, are not cold, nor are we hot. We are simply lukewarm. We are idle, inactive, and indifferent to the work of our Lord. And yet again, Jesus asked the question in Matthew chapter 20 at verse 6, Why do you stand here idle all day? I wonder why it is that some individuals within the body of Christ are idle, inactive, indifferent to the work of the church. Let me just ask this question. If this congregation depended solely upon you, where would this church be this time next year? Would people still have the opportunity to meet in this location? Would the work of the church be moving forward in a positive manner? Or would the doors be closed, the lights off, and the building for sale? Some individuals within the body of Christ are inactive and idle. 
And what Jesus said is applicable. Why do you stand here idle all day long? But then also with regard to the vigor of this congregation, and bear in mind, they lacked vigor because Jesus said you're not cold and you're not hot. You're lukewarm. These people were slothful and sluggish. And yet Paul said in Romans chapter 12 at verse 11, not lagging in diligence or not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Now, you know, there is not anything worse than a lazy, indolent, slothful individual. I think about individuals who have great talents and great abilities. And they have before them vast opportunities. But they never seize those opportunities because they're lazy. Now translate that, that to the spiritual realm. There are people in the body of Christ that could be doing great things for the cause. They could be contributing to the advancement of the cause of Jesus Christ. But when you boil it all down, the taproot of the problem is they are lazy. They are slothful and sluggish. Go back and read the book of Proverbs sometime and note the contrast that Solomon makes between the ant and the sluggard. The ant is always busy. Well, I think as Christians, we are to be busy in the service of our Lord. But then there's a second thing that Jesus points out about these people. It has to do with their values. Look at verse 17. He said, because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing. You know, sometimes we live under a delusion. Our perception is distorted. There are times when it's very difficult for us to take an objective look at our own spiritual well-being. Here were people that from a spiritual vantage point, if you had asked them, are you living for the Lord? Their response would be, you bet. You mean to tell me that you're serving the Lord faithfully? Absolutely. They were affluent. And so physically speaking, they were, they were rich. Their attitude was, we're rich, we're increased with goods, we have need of nothing. We are self-sufficient, we are self-reliant. There are a lot of people like that in the church today. They're operating under a delusion. They think, spiritually speaking, that they are in good shape. And yet, like the Laodiceans of old, they need to make some changes. When you talk about your spiritual values, your spiritual mindset, what are you focusing on? 
The Apostle Paul talks about in Philippians chapter 3, those who mind earthly things. Sometimes we fail to make a distinction between the secular and the spiritual. And we allow the secular to blur the spiritual line. And so we like to lay out a sense. We have difficulty making a dissemination between our fervor and our faithfulness for the Lord. When your values are distorted, it will affect several things. Number one, it will affect your praise to God. How do I know that? Well, one of the ways that this is reflected is in a person's presence to worship. Take, for example, individuals that will come to Bible study on Sunday morning. They will come to worship on Sunday night, but you will never see them again until the following Sunday. You can just bank on that. They're not coming back. They have no intention of coming back. And there are times when they will try to rationalize and give valid reasons in their mind why they're not coming back. And yet the Bible says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. You see, the manner of some is they will forsake the assembly. Now, when you forsake the assembly, you're lukewarm. You're lethargic. You're not hot or cold. And you need to understand that. The same is true for Wednesday night. If you're not present on Wednesday night, what does that say about your desire for heavenly things? You remember Paul talked about in Philippians chapter 3 at verse 19, there are some who mind earthly things. Are there things that we enjoy in the world? Absolutely. Are there things that we do from time to time that bring us great pleasure, that entertain us? Well, of course there are. But Paul said in that same context, our citizenship is in heaven. Whence also we wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe that we need all the help we can get in this world. And so, I think we can make a valid case for being present on Wednesday night. We need to be present on Wednesday night. It affords us spiritual strength and stamina. But there's another, I believe, negative effect that results when our, when our values are distorted. It has to do with preaching. Now you may be saying, well, what does preaching have to do with me? Well, you see, every time that the Word of God is preached or proclaimed, we have a decision to make. Are we going to be a doer of the word or a hearer only? If our values are distorted, if we, like the people of Laodicea, say, I'm rich, I'm increased with goods, I have need of nothing, then here's the bottom line. In that individual's mind, the preacher has nothing beneficial to say to them. In other words, he's always talking to the person beside them or behind them or in front of them. 
sometimes I have thought before that in the presentation of the Word of God, the Word of God has simply gone right over people's heads. Not because it wasn't simple. It's just because they were not making the application. I remember a fellow telling me on one occasion about a preacher showing up, and when he got there, there was only one person present. And so he went ahead and preached his sermon, and at the conclusion of the lesson and the conclusion of the service, the fellow said, now I'll tell you what, if they'd have been here, you'd have told them today. Now that's the way sometimes we are. It doesn't apply to me. Well, you see, I believe that the Word of God is applicable to all of us. So we have to take what we hear, process it, internalize it, and then live it out in our daily lives. There's a third thing that is affected. This has to do with our performance. When your values are distorted, you're not going to perform as you should within the body of Christ. Take, for example, Christian mothers and fathers. Is it not the case that we want to do everything that we can to make sure that our children go to heaven? How are we going to do that? Well, we're going, we're going to do everything we can to teach them and the nurture and the, the admonition of the Lord. That would be inclusive of bringing them to worship and Bible study. Now, if you're not bringing your children to worship and to Bible study, shame on you. You need to be doing that. I think about parents that were unfaithful when their children were growing up. And then as their children reach adulthood, they're not faithful, but the parents at some point in time refocused their lives, got back on track, and began serving the Lord, and then they wring their hands because their children are unfaithful. And they wonder why. Let me tell you why. It's because you were unfaithful when they were young. The devil walks about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And he plays no favorites. He wants your children just as bad as he wants you. And so you and I need to do everything that we can to protect our children from the adversary. When we talk about performance, what do we mean? Well, we also mean the work of the church. What have you done for the work of the church in this location in 2007? How active have you been? In the various spheres of work, evangelism, edification, and benevolence, where would you write your name? Have you been active? Have you been working? You see, I've only been a part of the congregation here for a couple of months. I do not know what everybody has done. I may not know everything that is being done. But I think in order for us to assess our spiritual condition, we have to ask the question, what have we done? What are we doing? What do we plan to do? And you see, if you're not involved in the work of the church, that tells, that tells me something's wrong spiritually. Your performance is not what it should be. 
Jesus said, I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was naked and you clothed me. I was a stranger, you took me in. I was sick and in prison, you visited me. There's something for everybody to do. It may not be very visible, but nonetheless, there's something for you and me to do. The congregation here will only go as far as we as the members take it with the help of the Lord. Paul said, I planted, Apollos watered, God gave the increase. What are you doing for the cause of Christ in this community? And then finally, it affects our purpose. There are a lot of people in the body of Christ today, they like purpose, they like direction, they like, they like focus and purpose and direction. Why is that? They fail to understand that they are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. The church exists to glorify God the Father, Ephesians 3, verse 21. Is it possible that you lack purpose in your life today? But then also, we think about their vision. Look at what Jesus said, because you say I'm rich, have become wealthy, have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Sometimes we do not see as we should, spiritually speaking. These people thought that they could see clearly, but Jesus said, spiritually speaking, you are blind. We are blind when we fail to realize that our treasure is to be laid up in heaven and not upon this earth. We are blind when we are focusing solely on the here and now to the exclusion of eternity. And then finally, their vesture. He said, you're naked spiritually speaking. Paul talks about putting on the whole armor of God in Ephesians chapter 6. Clothing ourselves so that we are fit to do battle as Christians in the army of our Lord. Very quickly, the prescription. Look at verse 18. Here is what the Lord counseled these people. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich and white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. Now, when you think about the duty of our Lord, what is his duty? Well, he came to seek and to save the lost. He's concerned about the salvation of the souls of men and women. And so know what he says in verse 19, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Why did the Lord rebuke this church? Because he loved them. In Hebrews chapter 12 at verse 6, the Bible says, the Lord chastens whom he loves. If the Lord didn't care about the church at Laodicea, he would have never said a word. If the Lord was unconcerned about us, he would not say one word to us in the scriptures about how we're to live, how we're to act, how we're to conduct ourselves. 
And then the demand. Be zealous and repent. Why repent? Why make the necessary changes? Because life eternal hangs in the balances. Look, if you would, at verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Our time is gone. But let me just ask this question. If the Lord were to place your life under his divine microscope, what would the assessment be? Would you be cold? Would you be hot? Or would you be lukewarm? Now, if you're fervently serving the Lord, then God bless you. Keep serving him. Live faithfully. But if you're cold or you're lukewarm, you need to make some changes because eternity hangs in the balances. In concluding our study today, let me just ask this question. Are you a Christian? Have you obeyed the gospel? Are you a member of the church that we read about in the Bible? If not, our plea to you today is to come to Christ. The Bible says that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. Luke 19, 10, he came to save you. The Bible tells us that without faith, it's impossible to be well-pleasing to him, Hebrews chapter 11, that we must repent of every sin, Luke 13, 3, confess his name before others, Matthew 10, 32, be baptized into Christ for the remission of our sins, Acts 2, 38. In so doing, the Lord will then add us to the church, Acts 2, 47. If we live faithfully, the promise is the crown of life, Revelation 2 at verse 10. If we're not faithful, if we're not living as we should, if we're not what we should be, our plea to you today, why not come home? It would be our privilege to pray with you and for you with the full assurance that God will abundantly pardon every sin, Hebrews 8 verse 12. Would you come as we stand and sing?